Have you ever felt that after spending on all your living expenses, having nights out with friends, paying off maybe your mortgage, your car, and having no money at the end of the month? Now, this is something that's very common among many Malaysians. It makes you feel that like you're a slave to your salary. Now, this is the Talk Cock Money podcast where we teach you everything about money in Malaysia, how to make it, how to keep it, and how to grow it. And today we actually have Ben here that's going to teach you about how to save money. Now, so Ben, uh, what is it that you actually want to discuss with the audience about saving money? Hey, George. So today we are going to talk about saving money, but not just any sort of strategy, not just mindlessly cutting back on lattes or anything. But our main strategy today is how to save hundreds of ringgits per month and still buy what you love. Hmm, that's very interesting. Okay, so what is the first thing, or in the sense that maybe a philosophy or a certain mindset that you want to uh, incorporate with the audience when they go about learning how to save money? Ah, oh, okay. Thank you, George, for that. So the main philosophy when it comes to saving money that I've found because I've read many uh, books and also tried many different methods. So far, the one that makes the most sense is this philosophy called conscious spending. It's not a new idea. It's actually written by Ramit Sethi, who wrote the book, I Will Teach You to Be Rich. So the whole idea of conscious spending is that you suppose you are allowed to spend lavishly on the things you love, but at the same time, you cut back mercilessly on the things you don't. Mm, okay, so conscious spending is the basic idea whereby you are very aware of how you spend your money on the things uh, that you need or the things that you want. All right, so I think that for now, we actually want to talk about conscious spending on three main categories. You actually refer to these as the big three. So can you tell them what the big three are? Oh, yes, I would love to get to that. But before that, I would love to talk about um, what is the revolving philosophy around conscious spending. Before we can talk about the big three things that you can save on, it is very important to know what are you saving for. So, for example, when you start this philosophy of conscious spending or intentional spending, you must first figure out what is it that you absolutely love and want to splurge on. For example, mm. some people, they really love to spend money on food. For them, they're a big foodie, and that's what they really love to do. Some people, they really love to collect handbags. Some people love to collect watches, right? But for the purposes of, of this podcast, I'm going to go with uh, this notion that everybody wants to optimize for this one thing. And this one thing I've noticed is very common amongst all my friends who are working, and that is travel. I always believe in the Facebook Envy test, which is, what is the thing that you see on Facebook that makes you the most envious? And when I ask most of my friends this question, they always say it's travel. So for the purpose of this podcast, we're going to presume that you, the listener, absolutely love and want to optimize for traveling. You want to see the world. You want to experience multiple cultures, taste different foods. You want to travel. So for the purpose of this podcast, we're going to presume that you want to travel. So let's move on to the big tree. So there's a recent research that went and said that the big 
the three biggest categories that you can save and cut back mercilessly on the most is actually housing, transport, and food. So let's talk about housing for a second. When it comes to housing, you actually have two different strategies you can do. If you're a single person living and working in a densely packed urban area such as KL, where room rentals are high, where rentals are high, the best bet you can do to actually cut back on housing is instead of renting a unit, rent a room. I know this sounds ridiculous, but I know so many of my single friends who would actually rent out the entire unit for themselves. They would spend more than 2000 bucks a month just on renting the whole unit to themselves and they're single, which I don't, which I don't think makes sense. If you're serious about saving money to optimize and travel and to make more room to travel each month you work, you want to cut back on this. So just rent a single room. You can go to sites like ibilic.my, I-B-I-L-I-K.my to pick the best rooms. And the second thing is if you're a bit more business-minded, what you can do is you can actually rent an entire unit and sublet out the other rooms. Of course, you have to first talk to your landowner, the landlord, whether they allow such things, such arrangements to happen. If they do, then you're set. So I know many of my friends back in university who would do this. They would actually rent out an entire unit, usually three bedrooms, three bedrooms. So they would stay in one of the bedrooms and rent out the other two in such a way that it covers the entire uh, rent of the unit. Sometimes they can't do it. So at the very least, it subsidizes their rent. Mm -hmm. Yes, I mean. Right, that's a very interesting tactic. So you get other people to actually pay for your rent in that sense, correct? Yes. All right. So now, so that's about housing or in a sense, renting for most uh, KL millennials here. So what about the transport part? The transport part, uh, there's, there's a few tactics here. The most common sense one is the one we've all heard before. It's to stay closer. If you haven't committed long-term to an area yet, or you haven't bought property anywhere, you are in a very good position to move uh, to places closer to your work. And doing so actually saves you a ton of money, especially if it's walking distance. If you're able, so let's say if you're able to move somewhere close to work whereby you don't even have to take the bus or take the train, then all you have to do is walk. Walking costs virtually zero. So let's say even if you were to take the train somewhere, let's say if you live somewhere that requires you to take the train, let's say conservatively you have to spend five ringgit each day for transport. Over the course of five days in a week, you'll spend 25. Let's say in a month, you spend 100. Over the course of a year, that is 1,200 ringgit. That is enough for a single person to spend pretty lavishly on, let's say, a week or like five days vacation locally, maybe at Penang, maybe they can go snorkel in the deep blue waters of Kota Kinabalu, or they can go to Langkawi, or they can go to, or they can go to Port Dixon, or they can go abroad if they want to. So tiny things like that, if you decide to stay closer to your work, you can actually save a lot from that. The second thing is, um, if you live, especially in an urban area whereby the public transport is pretty darn good, I would highly suggest that you really think twice before buying a car. A lot of people think buying a car is expensive as, 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 is as expensive as the installments, but that's not true. There's maintenance, there is, uh, there's the insurance, there is the parking problem, everyone knows that. There's the traffic jams you have to deal with. And 
there's a multitude of things that these are called uh, I call them phantom costs. You don't see them until you own a vehicle. So I would highly recommend that you think twice before getting a car. In most cases, if you live, unless you live in places like Kuching or other areas such as that, whereby you must get a car to get around, then you have no choice. But if you have a choice, take public transport and just take Grab to go to places that you can't access using the bus or train. And of course, some of you may say, oh, if I take the train or I take the bus, it's gonna take me so much longer. Okay, but first is think about the cost you will get, the cost you can save, the money you have to spend just to get to work and back or just to travel to any place. The second thing is think you're not gonna waste the time that you have when you travel to these places. You are essentially having a public chauffeur bring you around. So if you manage to take a seat you can manage to find a seat on buses or trains. You can always use that time to work. You can write, you can uh, edit video, etc. You can do all those things. Or if let's say you're in a standing position and you can't find a seat, why don't you do the things to and from work that you would do when you're at home? For example, I know a lot of people when they go home, they watch Korean dramas, etc. Why don't you download those videos, put it on your phone and just watch it on your way to and from your and from work. You'll be surprised how many things you can finish in that brief amount of time back and forth. You're not essentially wasting time. You're just making use of the time you have in transit. Mm -hmm. Or maybe they could listen more to our talk called money podcast or so. No. Yeah, or, or other podcasts and other like, audio books as well. Yeah, all right. Okay, so, so having public transport actually is very advantageous in the sense that you don't have to operate a vehicle, okay? So you can use a lot of your time to do the things that uh, you can't do if you were to drive a vehicle on your own. So you can listen to podcasts, you can read books. If you're a person who reads a lot, you can do your work. So yeah, so I think that public transport is a really good idea in the sense that you spend less and you have more time. Now, is that all you want to talk about for the transport part? Yeah, actually, that's all I can say about the transport part. If uh, anyone else, uh, the audience, has any interesting insights on housing and transport so far, feel free to leave a comment below and let us know so we can always address it in the next podcast. All right. Okay, that's great. Now, so now, so the next one, okay, we've already talked about housing. We've already talked about transport. Now, the third one, I believe, is the one that most of us can't escape or no, no one can possibly escape this because whether you're working or not, whether you're employed, whether you're an investor, whoever you are, food is something that you're going to need on a day-to-day -day basis. So what is the best way that we can cut costs on something that we consume on a daily basis? Okay, perfect. So when it comes to food, the, I like how you mentioned that, that we have to eat it three times a day. So instead of seeing it as, oh my God, it's three times the cost, view it as three opportunities for you to figure a way out on how to best intentionally save and intentionally spend your money. So I, would, I can safely say, compared to the other three, such as housing and transport, the vast majority of millennials in KL or in Malaysia in general, food is probably the biggest expenditure they make. So food is the biggest expenditure in the sense that food is the biggest expenditure in the sense that they would go out to eat. Sometimes they would go out to cafes, spend 12 bucks on a cake, another 11 bucks on a coffee, 
And this adds up to a lot over time. So if you're serious about optimizing for travel or about anything else that you really love, cooking at home actually can save a lot of money. And the thing about cooking at home is that it doesn't have to be hard. There are many appliances that have already been invented out there that can make cooking a lot easier. For example, uh, a, a very good appliance that I noticed recently is mini rice cookers. When people think mini rice cookers, they just think, oh, oh this is cooked rice. But the fact is, it actually has a multitude of different purposes. If you find multi-purpose mini rice cookers, you can also steam your dishes. So for example, imagine a mini rice cooker, imagine a rice cooker whereby it cooks rice. And then on top, there's another additional layer that you can put to steam your chicken. And if you want a bit more sophisticated than that, then you can add another tray on top that you can steam your vegetables. So there's no gas involved here. You don't have to worry about ordering gas every time you run out of gas. You don't have to worry about uh, oil like splattering everywhere and hot boiling oil everywhere and scrubbing gigantic uh, woks. You, all you have to do is just plug in it's an electric rice cooker, cook your rice, steam your chicken, and steam your vegetables all in one go. So all you have to do is just buy the stuff, prep it, put it in, turn it on, and just go about your business. And nine times out of 10, these mini rice cookers are automatic and smart. So they would know whether, when and when to turn it off. When mm. and when not to turn it off. Okay, now that, that's something new for me. I've never heard of such a rice cooker. The only, no, the only thing I know about rice cookers is that they cook rice. But I never knew they could do more, a lot more stuff than that. So that's okay. very good advice for the audience. All right, so besides eating at home, let's say, okay, let's say one of our audience is like, okay, I have no time to cook at home. I, I prefer to eat out. So, okay, let's say for the people who do eat out, are there ways to actually cut costs on the food they eat outside? Oh, definitely. Um, I, I've heard this objection before many times, whereby people say, oh, uh, that's easy for you to say, right? Because I work near a mall, or I work in a more high-cost area, such as Bangsar uh, here in KL. The fact of the matter is, there are always areas for you to eat cheap. The real question is whether you want to and whether you can find out where. So when I was working at Uniqlo at one point, I would always ask the people working there, where do you go eat? Because I know there are different tiers of people. Office people, they can splurge. A lot of office people I know splurge more than 10 bucks per meal whenever they're out. But when it comes to retail workers, they would actually go for more economical areas. So I would always ask them, uh, where, where do you go eat? So they will always lead me to where it is. Because the fact of the matter is retail workers, they have to find something sustainable. They need to find a place that they can eat day in, day out, whereby they can save enough money. So they would tell me, oh, this area, oh, this is the, uh, maybe uh, this area, I always go to this particular place, maybe this particular food court at this particular stall. So I would follow their advice. Now you may say, well, I don't work at a mall. So how can I find out? Easy. Next time you go to maybe like a Cotton On, a H&M, or any of these retail stores, you can always ask them, oh, where do you go eat here? Then they'll just gladly tell you. It's not like a hidden secret that they want to tell you. They'll just let you know. The, this is one way of uh, cutting back when you eat out. The other way is just to instill a budget. Recently, I found that a good way for me to save costs when I eat out, the thing is that you can just choose to eat out and not cook at home. It is completely up to you. But even when you do eat out, you have to put in a budget. If you think, you know what, I'm just going to spend whatever money I want and then 
at the end of the month, I'll still have some money left. It doesn't really work out. So what you should do is uh, instill a budget. My budget currently is like 15 bucks a day. So that's five bucks for breakfast, five bucks for lunch, five bucks for dinner. Now, if you live in KL, it's a pretty hard thing to do to find five ringgit meals. I agree. So what I mainly do is I would eat uh, the pantry food at the office in the morning, or I sometimes I just don't eat in the morning. I work better when I don't eat in the morning. Maybe I just drink water or drink tea in the morning. And the rest of the day, I'll figure out how to spend the 15, maybe seven bucks on here, eight bucks in the next one, maybe six bucks here, maybe nine bucks in the next one. The whole point is to have a particular budget. Mine is 15, yours may be higher. Sometimes I even go down to 10 bucks a day if I can figure a way out how. The fact of the matter is, if I can figure a way how to cut my food cost in half, whether I cook at home or eat out, that's a, that's a lot of money that I can save each month that I can put forward to traveling, to going to Europe, to going to UK, to going to Maldives, etc. Mm, all right, all right. Okay, so, okay, so that's very interesting. So I think that the most important takeaway is to ask mall workers, okay, for people who live near malls, mall workers, where do they eat? Because chances are these people will want to go to a place that is cost-efficient. They want to eat the cheapest food and the most quality at the same time. All right, so is there anything else do you want to add on? Uh, in regards to the three categories, no, that's all I can add. That's all I have. All right, okay. So now, so actually for this podcast, we structure it in such a way that we have three main points. So first point is the philosophy of conscious spending, whereby you're aware of how you spend. Two is what we call the big three, housing, transport, and food. Now, what is the last point you want to drive home today? The last point um, is something that most people who have read personal finance books have heard a million times before, which is pay yourself. Pay yourself first. Uh, this concept was actually introduced in the book, The Richest Man in Babylon, um, whereby it says that you're supposed to put 10% of your money away for your future self. Now, the reason why I introduced this point is because the fact of the matter is you can try your very best um, to optimize for travel and you can cut back on these big three categories. And the, the money that you're able to save sometimes varies depending on your situation, right? But I would say that no matter what financial situation you're in, even if you're just making a thousand bucks a month, I'm not kidding. Even if you're only making a thousand ringgit a month, you should, you have no reason why you can't save a hundred, uh, 10% each month. Reason being 10% is like super duper low. It's super duper low. So 10% is, is actually a very tiny fraction. It's actually a very tiny fraction of, uh, of your monthly salary. So the best way to go about this is to actually automate it. So I'm guessing most of you guys already have online banking accounts. So you, sh you, can, go, you can log into your online banking account, go to standing instructions, and set it, automate it, and forget it. Just set it and forget it. Set 10% of your salary each month to be transferred to another bank account, either in the same bank or a different bank. Even if it's a different bank, the, if you want to do an instant transfer, it'll cost you like one ringgit, six cents per transfer. But one ringgit, one ringgit per month, over 12 months, over a year, it's just 12 bucks. It's a very oh. tiny amount in terms of bank oh. fees. Oh, Ben, okay. I would like to interrupt for a short moment. 
actually now, right, most banks actually have already waived out the instant transfer fee. Oh, okay. Yeah, they, yeah, they do that. It's now 0% because, uh, sorry, I mean zero ringgit because now they're actually trying to incorporate the idea uh, co- incorporate the idea of cashless society, which is actually uh, put forward by Bank Negara Malaysia. So for those of you who are using Maybank, I think you already know that instant transfer fee is already zero. So I think other banks that have not done it yet, they're going to do it very soon. So there is no reason not to auto-debit it. Good point. I actually didn't know that. So I'll be much more happy in the coming months uh, with this okay. automated thing. So the whole point is, uh, I'm guessing most people get their salaries in maybe on the 25th or the 26th day of the month. So what you want is, of course, to be able to transfer the money out after the money has come in. So I would recommend you put like a one-day delay. So if it comes in on the 25th, then ask for a standing instruction to have the money siphoned out by the 26th. Right? The whole point is to get 10% out so you only have 90% left to work with. So that even if all things fail, right? Even if you tried your best to save money, you tried your best on, to save on housing, transport, and food, even if you can't do that, you still manage to save. So this is like a fail-safe method to make sure that you have, uh, that you have, money, to put a, you have money to put away towards your traveling, towards your savings, etc., and uh, your emergency savings, etc. And speaking of emergency savings, there's a very shocking statistic that came from Bank Nagara recently that said that only one out of four Malaysians have more than a thousand ringgit in emergency savings, which is okay. Very low. Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, that's terrible. Okay. So that those are the main three points I want to talk about today. And so, what is what's, what are you gonna do with this information, right? So, I'm mainly asking what is the main point that you're, what's the number one thing that you're going to do with this information? Are you going, what is your first step? Are you going to start thinking what are the things you want to optimize for? Which categories do you want to cut back on? Is it housing? Is it transport? Is it food? Or are you going to start putting away 10% starting today? There's really no reason. I'm, as I saying, even if you make a thousand bucks a month, you can do it. I'm guessing most people listening to this podcast make at least 3000 a month. So you can definitely put away 300 a month. No problem. Mm-hmm. All right. Good. All right. So, okay. So I think we're going to have to at least have a call to action in this case. So that's something that we're going to do regularly on this podcast where we're going to finish discussing everything and we're going to have a call to action. So I think the best call to action is to share this with your friends. If you think that you have friends or you have your loved ones, that can benefit from this information, please share it with them, okay? Share it to as many people as you want, all right? So this knowledge, this information, and we are giving it for free, of course. So share it to these people who can learn from it and learn how to better their finances, all right? So I think this comes to the end of the podcast. So thank you, Ben, for your insights on how to save money. And this will be the end of the podcast. And stay tuned. Because for our next podcast, sorry, for our next podcast, we are actually gonna dive into the field of investing. So we're gonna give you a short introduction about investing. So that's it. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening, everyone. Okay, goodbye, everyone. Have a great day. Have a great day.